Okay. So, how many of you here have been through the Daniel class? Uh, at least the Daniel class here in Avonhoe. All right. How many of you have been through any type of study of Daniel on your own prior to? Yeah, most of you, I figure. Good. Because Revelation, I like to think of it as uh, advanced Daniel class. Uh, Daniel is like algebra, and Revelation is like calculus. And, you know, just a few items uh, to consider is that the book of Revelation is placed at the end of the Bible. But it was not the last book written. Revelation, the last three chapters or so, uh, talks about the restoration of Eden, essentially. If you look back at Genesis, the first three chapters, it is how we lost Eden. So the whole Bible is sandwiched between these uh, chapters, which talk about Eden lost and Eden restored. But Revelation, unlike Daniel, does not contain any stories. You know, Daniel is like, uh, it's, it's prophecy 101. You have the first six chapters, primarily stories, except chapter 2, there's a very significant prophecy. In chapter 10, there's no prophecy, there's just a story there. But uh, it's all, pretty much you can divide it in half. First six chapters, stories, second half, prophecies. And the first six stories help illustrate in picture form, uh, in a story form, what the prophecies are about, how it can be prepared for the events, and uh, so on and so forth. And more than that, in Daniel, the prophecies pretty much uh, explain themselves. God gives a prophecy, like Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel comes in, he, he repeats the dream, and then he says, and King, here is the interpretation thereof. He tells us what the dream represents. There's very little questioning, there's very little doubt, it's, it's clear. Uh, the, the first, the head of gold, thou art that head of gold. After thee shall rise an inferior kingdom, and so on and so forth. The beast of Daniel chapter 7. A beast represents a kingdom. It states it very clearly. In Daniel chapter 8, it even names the kingdoms. The rams with two horns, Medes and the Persians. The goat with a notable horn, that's Greece. And the horn is the first king. I mean, it just... It cannot be any clearer. So, Revelation, as I said, is a continuation. It's advanced Daniel class. And so what happens is we're going to have to remember a lot of what happened in the book of Daniel in order to fully understand the book of Revelation. Now, that, that's just sort of an introduction. Uh, we're actually going to do a little bit of, of connecting the dots. I like doing that. And uh, actually, what we're going to do today, I like to call this class the, it's a Revelation Overview. We're not going to be studying any particular chapter by itself. We're not really going verse by verse just yet. Uh, <clears throat> this is a teaser. You know what a teaser is? It's like uh, when, when they're coming out with a new movie or a new TV series. They give you like a two and a half minute, three minute, whatever, clip uh, to sort of give you the big picture, what is coming. And so this is what we're going to do. The overview, the big picture. What, is Revelation ha what does Revelation have to offer? Okay? So before we begin, let's bow our heads for prayer. 
Father in heaven, we come before you today remembering that you have asked us to, to study your word. And we are told that when we study the books of Daniel and Revelation, we will have an entirely new religious experience. And we long for that revival, Lord. And we know that the book of Revelation has important messages for us in these last days that it may give us the preparation we need to stand when uh, the final events take place. And so I pray that you'll be with us as we study. May your spirit lead us and guide us and teach us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. First of all, uh, I mentioned this at the beginning of Daniel class, which was like, it feels like years and years ago, but uh, not too long ago, I guess. One of the purposes for this class, Daniel class, Revelation class in particular, is to help, help us learn how to study the Bible. You know, I'm not an authority in any way. I'm just here to share. I don't have all the answers. And uh, especially uh, in Revelation, I'm still studying a lot. So this is a process. We're going to be learning how to study together. And I'm just going to be sharing some things that I've, I've, uh, I've learned. One of the important things to do when you're studying a particular book is to be able to outline what that book is about. Revelation can be, well, first of all, Revelation, there's 22 chapters. That's almost twice as long as the 12 chapters in Daniel. And Revelation can be divided into several chunks. Let me see how many chunks I have here. One, two, three, four, six. I have it written down as six distinct sections. You don't have to follow this outline. This is just a tool, okay? It's not inspired. You won't find it. You know, Ellen White did not say to divide into these sections. But these are just an idea based on the themes or the topics discussed in those chapters, okay? So here we go. If you're taking notes, I'll try to go slow. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 is about the seven churches. Revelation 1 through 3 is about the seven churches. Revelation 4 through 7 is about the seven seals. Revelation 8 through 11 is about the seven trumpets. Is there a... You notice a very significant theme popping up, right? And then Revelation 12 through 14... I call it the Great Controversy Synopsis. The entire whole of the Great Controversy compressed into three chapters with the most significant events emphasized. Uh, Revelation 15 through 19, this is where I have a little trouble giving a concise title, but con included is the Seven Last Plagues, Destruction of Babylon, and the Second Coming. So final destruction, if you want to call it that. But the Seven Last Plagues is found there. And then Revelation 20 to 22 is the final judgment and Eden restored. Now, I'm going to be referring back to this outline several times today. Uh, we're, di we're giving an, an overview, so uh, you don't have to take my word for it, but this is just sort of what, what's coming. Uh, Revelation, well, let's see where we should start. Okay, let, let's start with uh, what, what we've already Saw, seen. Looking at these uh, chapter divisions or, or this book outline, what is, uh, what's 
something fairly unique that has popped up several times already. It's the number seven, right? Seven trumpets, seven seals, seven churches. Let's look at a few verses. Uh, let's start in chapter one, Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one, let's begin in verse. Okay, we're going to need that mic for people reading the text. So uh, I'm going to ask someone to read the text. Raise your hand and Carlos will give you the mic before you read. Uh, this is going to be Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Let's start there. Who would like to read? Anyone? Okay, Mike. Okay, over there. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Okay, hang on to the mic and let's read verse 20 of the same chapter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. You know, I think that, that text sort of is the best text. Because it's sort of uh, ad nauseum uses the number seven. You know, it's like the seven stars, seven golden candlesticks, seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, which are the seven candlesticks. When you look at the whole book of Revelation, the number seven appears all over the place. And, you know, I don't, I don't particularly encourage you to place significance in all numbers. You know? Just because, uh, just because, um, oh, there were, uh, I guess there, there are significant numbers. But my point is there aren't always some special symbology or some prophecy related to any number in the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> the number seven, in this case, quite clearly, God is trying to tell us something significant about the number seven. And the number seven, what does it represent? Where, where is the number seven first mentioned in the Bible? Seven days of creation. And again, seven happened at the very first book of the Bible, in the first chapter, and then again in the last book of the Bible, repeated over and over. The first time it's mentioned, the number seven has to do with creation and at the end of the bible the number seven has to do with restoration the number seven is a number that represents completion it's not just perfection it, it does represent that too but it's perfection in the sense that god has started something and now he's finished it as opposed to something is perfect you know morally or or intrinsically it's a matter of perfection in the sense of completion. So the book of Revelation gives us this impression of something is about to be completed. Completion of some sort. And uh, the seven churches, interestingly enough, the, the, words, the word churches, it means called out. So it's a completion of calling out of God's people. 
you see. Anyway, we're not, we're not going to delve into the seven churches right now. But let me give you a couple other sevens just to make my point. Is there a comment? Uh, you have the mic? Okay, go ahead. You know, Ellen White says that the book of Revelation and Daniel are complements one yes, of the other. Absolutely. And the word complement means one that completes the other. Uh-huh. That's a good point. Yeah, good point. Okay, let's look at a couple, couple, couple other verses. We're not going to read them. You can jot them down if you care to. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 5, we see seven lamps. Seven lamps, which are the seven spirits, I believe. Revelation 5, verse 1, we see seven seals. We talked about that. Revelation 5, verse 6, we see a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. That's a very odd-looking lamb, but there's some significance to that. Revelation 8, verse 6, there are seven trumpets, seven angels that have seven trumpets. Uh, Revelation 10, verse 4, the seven thunders. This is one of my favorite sevens in the whole book. Revelation 12, verse 3, dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on those ten horns. And then in Revelation chapter 13, there's a beast with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on those horns. And then Revelation 15, verse 1, seven plagues. Revelation 17 talks about a beast with seven heads, five of which, five of the heads which were, one is, one is to come. So, the number seven, okay? Uh, this is just an overview, so we're not going to explain everything. But just these are, these are ideas to keep in your mind as we go through the book. When you see a number seven, a uh, bell should ring in your mind. Okay, another theme in Revelation. Let's look in Revelation 1, verse 1. And this is uh, perhaps most significant. Revelation 1, verse 1. Okay, let's have some, someone read this verse. Okay, in the back. Okay, good. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. Can to you speak up? We can't really hear up here. <laughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and sign signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Okay. So this verse here, there's two things. The very first verse tells us what the book of Revelation is all about. The first one, the revelation is a revealing of who? Of Jesus Christ. That's the first important theme. And the second thing is, is revealing Jesus and what? Things which must shortly come to pass. So these are the two basic themes or th the, the purpose or the thesis of the book of Revelation. Number one is to reveal Jesus to us. And number two, reveal Jesus within the context of events. What will shortly come to pass? Now, revelation of Jesus. I dare say that the book of Revelation is perhaps the clearest revelation of what Je or who Jesus really is. And what, what do I mean by that? It, I don't mean that the Gospels are useless. I don't mean that the Gospels don't have a good picture of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
Revelation does a cosmic view. It shows Jesus in the context of the great controversy, uh, of Jesus within the whole scope of everything that's happened, everything that is happening, and everything that will happen. How do I know that? Okay, let's look at Revelation 1. There's a couple verses here that I want to look at, but let's start in verse Oh, verse 8. Revelation 1 and verse 8. Where's the microphone? All right. We have a reader. Please read loud enough for us to hear. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right. Right at the beginning of the book, Jesus expresses himself as Alpha and Omega. We're going to come back to that in a minute. The beginning and the end. The Lord which is, which was, and which is to come. The Almighty. So Jesus in this book introduces himself as, I am the all in all. I am the beginning, I am the end, I am he which was, or which is, which was, which is to come. Now, Alpha and Omega, interesting. What language is that, is that talking about? Greek. Alpha is the first alphabet, or first letter in the alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the alphabet. And what's another name for Jesus? I'll show you. Let's look in Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. Volunteer to read. Okay, we have one in the back. He was, he was clothed with a robe. Can you speak robe. up? We can't hear. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So Jesus, his other name, Word of God. And what language did he use to denote, at least in Revelation 1? He didn't use the Hebrew alphabet. He didn't say, I am the A and the Z. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He introduced himself to John at a time when the Gentiles were still ostracized by the Jewish people, saying, I am the Word. But by the way, I'm not limited to the Hebrew alphabet. I am Alpha and Omega in the Greek language, the Gentile language. And so the book of Revelation, right from the beginning, it's not just intended for the Jewish people. It's intended for the world, the heathen, those that are outside, you see? This is just a little snippet of what happens all throughout the book of Revelation. Jesus sort of pops up here and there. Uh, the seven churches is very obvious. Before every single church, he introduces himself. And he's the one speaking to the church. He offers them a reward. Uh, you know exactly what Jesus is all about. But all throughout the book, there are little, uh, it's like little hidden messages that when you read deeper into it, what actually is happening is it is a hidden within the veil, perhaps, of, of prophetic language and symbols is 
a clear description of Jesus, his work, his ministry, his character, and uh, his relation to his people. For example, I'll just throw this one out in Revelation chapter 10. There is a mighty angel that comes down. It does not say specifically that it is Jesus. But as you identify and you study out the description of that angel, you cannot deny that that is Jesus. And as you study what he's clothed with in that case, you see very clearly what is Jesus doing within the context of what's happening in Revelation chapter 10. It's that Jesus pops up all over in this book. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to, again, I'm just going to throw out these verses. This is just an overview. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, we didn't even go there. He's a faithful witness. When do you need witnesses? In a court of trial. So what do you suppose is going to happen somewhere along in the book of Revelation? Some kind of judgment. Amen? He's the first begotten. Revelation 1 verse 5. Uh, whenever I hear that word, we'll, we'll get there later. It connects with the book of Hebrews. And Revelation and Hebrews are inseparable. We'll talk about that later. First begotten. In order for you to be a first, what must there also be? There must be more than one. Is that right? You know, did you ever notice that Jesus' name changed? At one point, he was the only begotten. But now he's called the first begotten. You know what that means? There's more begottens. In order for there to be a first, there must be more that comes after, at least one other, right? So he's the first begotten. He's the prince of kings. Later on in the book, he's the king of kings, lord of lords, Revelation 19. Uh, Revelation 1, 13, we see him dressed up as a priest, walking through the candlesticks. And then uh, Revelation 5, verse 6, we talked about already, he's like a lamb slain. Jesus is also in Revelation 12, he's the man-child who was born of the woman, uh, who is caught up to God to rule with the rod of iron. That's a very significant prophecy. Revelation 19, he's the conqueror on the white horse. Revelation... Uh, 21, or Revelation 20 first, he sits on a great white throne of judgment. He's a judge. And then Revelation 21, he's described as the bridegroom. New Jerusalem coming out of heaven prepares a bride adorned for her husband. Christ is the husband. So just a quick snippet. There's a lot more. Um, as we go through the actual chapters, we'll, we'll have to pick those out. But just to give you an idea, Revelation is about Jesus. It's a revealing of who Jesus is uh, and what he's doing for his people. All right. All of this was just warm-up, okay? There's uh, some other... Th this, is where, this is where we get really excited. Okay, we have a comment in the front, Carlos. I was just going to comment on the only begotten and the first begotten. Okay. Uh, these are actually, you know, put in detail context. Mm -hmm. The only begotten has to do with the Son of God and the first begotten, I mean the first begotten, the only begotten, and uh, the, uh, uh, the other here, um, you know, the first begotten of the dead. It's, uh, so it's a different, uh, it's a different context there all It's together. true. Yeah. It's true. The first begotten is of the dead and the only begotten is the Son of God. That's right. 
uh, Carlos can take the mic. We're not going to go too, too much into that, but he's exactly right. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, that's when he became first begotten. All right, we're not going to get sidetracked here. That's a good point. Okay, now, Revelation also has another, I don't want to say hidden, because it's not hidden. <laughs> it's only hidden to those who uh, aren't looking. There's another, there's another method in which you can walk through, and I mean walk through literally, the book of Revelation. Let me see if you can see what I'm talking about, okay? I'm going to have one volunteer read the series of verses, okay? So this is going to be a number of verses. I'm going to need someone who can read with a loud, round, pear-shaped tone, okay, up in the front. I'm going to give you a number of verses, and we're going to see what we are what, what, what other theme is there in the book of Revelation? Let's start in Revelation 1, verse 12. Revelation 1, 12 reads, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. All right. What do we see, everyone? All right. Let's go to Revelation 4, verse 4. Revelation 4, 4 reads, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And, and verse five, sorry. And verse five. Yep. And they had their heads on, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded th lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay. So what do we see now in those two verses? Particularly, we see a throne and we see can, um, lamps, right? Lamps of fire. And then we are going to go to Revelation 8. Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4. Revelation 8, 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Very good. So now what piece of furniture do we see now? That's right. It's a golden altar, but specifically it's the altar of incense. Incense is being offered, Okay. Let's look in Revelation 11 and verse 19. Eleven nineteen, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. All right, what do we see now? We see the ark of the testament. All right, one last passage. Uh, this is Revelation 15, verse 8, and then Revelation 16, verse 1. They're, they're verses back-to-back, -back, uh, two chapters. Revelation 15, 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven last plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. 16, 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Thank you very much. So
So, what are we, what building are we walking through? Literally. I mean, very first chapter, we see the candlesticks. And by the way, the candlesticks represents the churches, right? And the churches are here on this earth. But anyway, you go through the, uh, the, 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 the church or, or the sanctuary, and you see the seven lamps of fire. And then you see the golden altar of incense. And then you see the Ark of the Testament. And then you see the temple closed and then people coming out of it. So in order for us to really understand the book of Revelation, what do we need to understand first? Sanctuary. Without a correct understanding of the sanctuary, you cannot have a correct understanding of the book of Revelation. And by the way, I remember a text. It says something about 2,300 days. And what happens at the end of the 2,300 days? Oh. So there's a connection. Daniel and Revelation, they connect just like this. So, Revelation cannot be understood without the sanctuary. And I don't try to say this to sound elitist, but this is the truth. You know, what group of people have been given a correct understanding of the sanctuary? That's exactly right. And by the way, what book in the Bible, what other book in the Bible, the entire book, is specifically dealing with the sanctuary service is the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation, if I can put it this way, the Adventists have have a monopoly on those books. (laughs) You cannot have a correct understanding of those books unless you have a correct understanding of the sanctuary which the Lord has given to his remnant people. And the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation, then, they're inseparable. You can't, you can't take them apart. They go, they go hand in hand. And uh, fortunately, Norman uh, has studied both books. He's, he's actually more well-versed than I am in Hebrews. So uh, I'm sure he'll be able to share a lot more. Anyway, now, let's see where, what time we're at. All right, this is the last overview that we're going to go through now. And this is the, the relation between the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies of Revelation. You know, this is an overview for those who are coming later. So if, you, if you're not totally sure about everything, it's okay. Because it's just the beginning. You know, we'll get into more details later. Okay, but going, looking back in Revelation, or, or Daniel. There are prophecies in Daniel chapter 2, 7, 8, 9, and then... 10 through 12 is one prophecy, basically. And those prophecies essentially repeat themselves. Isn't that right? Using Daniel chapter 2 as the, the base, you know, that's the foundation, the intro. There's a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay, and then the stone that comes and crushes it. Using that symbol, when you go to Revelation chap- or Daniel chapter 7, the whole process is repeated, but where is it more emphasis given? I mean, this is testing, this is sort of a quiz now. It's reviewing all your Daniel. Re- Daniel chapter 7, which part of the prophecy receives additional information? Is it, is it at the top of the image or at, at the bottom? Okay, so is the nation of Rome in particular and the feet of iron and clay time period? 
that receives more detail. You jump over to Daniel chapter 8. This is the ram and the he-goat. The kingdom of Babylon is nowhere to be found. They've already passed off the scene. So very little information about Babylon. But as you go down the image, the majority of information has to do with the little horn power. And that little horn power happens to be Rome in two phases, pagan and papal Rome. And that is legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. The, the expansion, every time that you repeat, the enlargement or expansion happens right around the legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. Do you see that? And then when you go through the book of Revelation, or, or, or I should say the chapter 11 particularly, emphasis again is given where? Legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. I mean, it is so clear that it, it practically names some of the leaders in the Roman Empire. I mean, it basically calls them by name. It's that clear. Expansion of the feet of iron, or legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. Okay. So when you come to the book of Revelation, what do you suppose, what pattern do you suppose is going to continue? Exactly the same thing. In fact, in which prophetic period was the book of Revelation written? Meaning, when did John live? Pagan Rome, legs of iron. So he doesn't even really talk about Greece. He doesn't talk about Medo-Persia. He doesn't talk about Babylon very much. I mean, he talked about Babylon in the end time scenario. And uh, we can learn a lot by looking back at ancient Babylon. But I'm, I'm meaning the literal empire. It's really not there. And so he expounds upon the end times in particular. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 is about the seven churches. And so the seven churches, I'm just going to spew this out there and we'll study it later. The seven churches has to do with the condition of the Christian church internally. In the time of Rome, all the way until the time of the feet of iron and clay. Internal spiritual condition of the church. Seven churches. Seven seals. External relationship. External condition of the church from the time of Rome to the feet of iron and clay. External meaning how are they relating to the world and how is the world relating to them. You remember that they were conquering for a while the white horse. The red horse are being persecuted and then they fall into apostasy and then they're, they're pale and dying and then there's martyrs under the altar in heaven and so on and so forth. External relationship of the church. Seven trumpets. This one is very fascinating and I'll be... Oh, time is up. Three minutes. The seven trumpets have to do with the political condition of the world. Political condition of the world during the time of Rome all the way through until the feet of iron and clay. That's, that one is very fascinating because God rarely does that. Rarely does God talk about political nation removed largely from the condition of his people. It's not completely removed, but largely. But there's a reason for that, and that's in Revelation chapter 10. We'll get there. And then the great contrary synopsis, chapter 12 through chapter 14, it basically starts with a woman giving birth to a man-child, which is Jesus. And that happens to be Roman Empire. And it expounds a great deal about the final movements. And, and that section has to do with Satan's supernatural devisings. So we've talked about everything on earth. Internal condition of the church, external condition about, of the church, political climate in the world, 
And now, the supernatural scene. What is Satan and his minions doing from the time of Rome all the way until the second coming? And that's where the beast of Revelation 13 comes in. That's where the second beast with lamb-like horns, image of the beast, all of those things take place. Revelation 14 happens to be the climax of the book of Revelation. Because, and this is what I'll end on, in Revelation chapters 1 through 13, we see the history of the world from Roman Empire until the end of the world, essentially. Feet of iron and clay. But after Revelation 14, all you see is destruction of God's enemies. Seven last plagues on the wicked, destruction of Babylon, second coming of Christ, uh, the lake of fire and the millennium where Satan is trapped on earth, and then Eden restored. So Revelation 14 somehow is the turning point, is the hinge for the whole book of Revelation. Prior to Revelation 14, you see the history of God's people being persecuted, going into apostasy, they're, they're falling asleep, there's uh, all sorts of troubles in the world and disasters and all sorts of stuff, but Revelation 14 comes and bam, God wins. God's church wins. And after that, there's no more destruction for God's people. So what's in Revelation 14 that's so significant? And the 144,000. Those two things combined bring about the second coming. And so, just, just to whet your appetite a little bit more, where do you suppose we happen to be standing right now in the course of the book of Revelation? Chapter 14. We are in chapter 14 right now. So, we're in the turning point. Okay, so we're running out of time. But that's quick overview, Daniel and Revelation. Stay tuned.